Cleveland Schmooze is sponsored by the Cleveland Jewish News. Get the latest news and information from the Cleveland Jewish News delivered right to your inbox. Choose from breaking news, daily headlines, community life cycle notices, arts, events, highlights, and more with our free e-newsletters. Sign up now at cjn.org slash e-signup. Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. We're your hosts. I'm Rachel Rude. And I'm Robin Rude. This week, we are talking to Dr. Rafi Simon, the librarian at B'nai Ashurin Congregation and a longtime public school educator. We asked Rafi about what brought him to library science and about his mission to deliver Jewish books around the world. We recorded this conversation with Rafi Simon over Zoom, and we'd like to note that this is the final episode of this season, but we'll be back in the fall to schmooze some more. Have a happy summer. Dr. Rafi Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and, you know, how Judaism influenced your life? Sure. Well, I grew up here in Cleveland. And I come from what I often describe as a hybrid Jewish family. My mother came from an Orthodox Jewish home in New York. Her father was an Orthodox rabbi. And my father came from a Reform Jewish home here in Cleveland. And they met during World War II. Neither one recognizing the fact that they had different Jewish religious beliefs, but they got married and it of course worked, but probably there was a compromise. And the compromise was they settled on conservative Judaism. That's great. Do you remember any traditions that came from one side or the other, like maybe keeping kosher was more of the Orthodox side or anything? Well, I grew up in a strictly kosher home and as the story goes, when my parents got married, my mother said to my father, you know, I'd like a, to keep a kosher home. And my father's reaction was, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> Tell us more about your, I didn't know your mom, but I knew your dad. Tell us more about him. He was a professor at Cleveland Heights High School, correct? My dad was a teacher at Cleveland Heights High School. My dad taught in uh, Cleveland Heights for, I believe it's 41 and a half years. Wow. Major field of interest was French, but he also had a minor in Spanish and he was certified to teach German and Latin and history as well. Wow. So the language in my house was actually officially French. My parents would speak French as a secret language and suddenly one day, their uh, two and a half year old son began answering them in French, unbeknownst to them. Wow. <laughs> did they keep teaching you French or did you like? I basically picked it up from hearing it spoken. Uh, my father was the French major, my mother was a Spanish major, but my mother actually loved the French language. So mm. French became the language of the house. And I think, that it was very good for me because when I was 10 years old, my parents sent me to the Mossad camps in Pennsylvania, which were run by the Histadrut Haivri, and the language of the camp was Hebrew. Hmm. 
We would get ayans during the day, at the end of the day, actually, if we had been speaking Hebrew. And I, of course, had to get an ayan every day, so I did my best to speak Hebrew. And I think the fact that I had known already a foreign language helped me actually to mm -hmm. learn Hebrew when I was 10 years old. Wow. So are you fluent in any of those languages still today? I think I have a pretty good fluency in Hebrew, and uh, my French isn't uh, too bad either. Nice. Did you spend time in France? I know you had a home in Israel. I don't know if you still do. I, I, I never had actually had a home in Israel. I just feel at home in Israel. And uh, any opportunity I have, I try to get there. And uh, I've been to France uh, multiple times since the age of six. And uh, despite some of the political aversions that we are observing right now, I still enjoy being there. Although wow. I'm extremely careful and security conscious when I am in France. Mm -hmm. Can you say something in French? Oui, je peux parler en français si vous voulez. Ce n'est pas trop difficile pour moi. All I know is voulez-vous. Yeah. Were you a Lady student of my father's? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how you got into the business of uh, being a librarian. librarian. It's very interesting. And it actually goes back to when I was 10 years old. Um, I was never the kid that could go out on the athletic field and play football during mm -hmm. recess or on the lunch hour or before or after school. So I naturally gravitated to the library and I would shelf books for the librarian. And I would stay after school because I enjoyed doing it so much. And I would go in there anytime I had uh, an opportunity and I would shelf books. And this went on probably through my elementary years, fourth, fifth and sixth grade. Um, Seventh grade and eighth and ninth grade, I would go to the library, but I wasn't really working and helping as much. Uh, tenth grade, when I was in high school, I began to help them quite a bit with audiovisual as well as uh, shelving books. And one day when I was in 11th grade, I said to the librarian, we were talking about careers, and I said to her, how do you become a librarian? And uh, she explained matters to me. And I decided I really wanted to be a librarian. So I went to, to college, got my bachelor's degree in uh, with a major in history and social studies comprehensive for teaching. And then I went to uh, Case Western Reserve and started my master's in library science with a specialty in uh, school media as well as research and academic libraries. I worked in the schools in Cleveland, in the Cleveland City School District for three years. And then I decided I had to get back to graduate school and work on my PhD in library and information science. And so I did. And uh, suddenly one day, one of the professors came to me and said, you know, you're a teacher. You should really be teaching the foundations course in library science. So for about six weeks, they gave me one of the sections of 
library science beginners, whatever it was. I don't know what the number of the course was. It's back so many years, but uh, I taught something on library history for about six weeks and I enjoyed it. So whenever I do a job uh, resume, I can put down that uh, I was trained for professional education for librarianship. Hmm. Nice. So when did you get your PhD? I finished my dissertation in uh, 1983. Hmm. That's great. So you retired from University Heights School, Cleveland Heights University Heights School District, right? Well, I was a uh, public school teacher slash media specialist for 30 years, actually a little bit more. And I retired from uh, the Cleveland Heights uh, City School District in 2006 when I had uh, over 30 years. So that was the same school district your dad taught at? Correct. There was only one year that, uh, you know, we didn't have it covered. Wow. Between the time he retired and the time I uh, actually uh, applied to the district and was hired for Wiley Middle School. or It was actually Wiley Junior High at the time. Right. So you weren't the librarian there, were you? I was a librarian, but uh, they gave it a little bit of a fancy title and they called it librarian media specialist. Gotcha. So what is involved with being a librarian? Like, are you in charge of helping students find whatever they need for their schoolwork? Do you also, are you in charge of gathering books to be part of the collection? What I really enjoy about the job and the positions I've held is the fact that it's for me, it's been all of the above. Um, I've been in a lot of situations where I've been the only librarian and I've had to do everything all the way from uh, acquisitions uh, through cataloging uh, and up to uh, doing reader service and working with uh, students coming in uh, as part of their educational program. Mm-hmm. Do you do the Dewey Decimal System? I've done cataloging. Do, do in we both. still do it? <laughs> we still do it. Yes, we do. <laughs> and I uh, know that the Dewey Decimal System pretty well, but mm-hmm. I've also done uh, some cataloging with the uh, Library of Congress cataloging system. The Library of Congress cataloging system is used a bit more in academic libraries. I have one more question about cataloging, which is (laughs) there's now this trend, and it might even be in like elementary schools and definitely in houses, where people are organizing their books based on the cover, uh, the color of the spine. So they're making like a rainbow bookshelf. Is that because of Zoom? No, well... Because of Zoom, no. Because you know, there's there's a thought that kids remember the color of the book that they like more than they remember the author of the book. Like especially when they're young, and also it's just like it makes a home look fun. What do you think about that system? <laughs> it sounds like an interesting premise. <laughs> Let's see if somebody does a doctoral dissertation to prove the validity of it. <laughs> I have, I'm a little skeptical. You'll have to forgive me. Okay. When you subscribe to the Cleveland Jewish News, you receive 52 issues of the award-winning CJN 
and 15 total magazines, including J-Style, Canvas, and Balanced Family. Try the Cleveland Jewish News for free. Start your six-week free trial at cjn.org slash six free. When did we move from card catalogs to digital systems? That's a fantastic uh, question. And there's not one standard answer because some libraries did it much earlier than others. The fact of the matter is the Library of Congress developed the MARC cataloging or the machine-readable cataloging system, which basically set a national standard of cataloging so that when you're cataloging a book, you're following fixed fields. And so the information can be very easily shared and downloaded from one library to another. How did you get connected with the B'nai Sharon Library? I actually worked in synagogue libraries in Cleveland simultaneously to my career as a public school librarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I initially was a librarian at Congregation Beth Am. And uh, of course, with the uh, merger, I came to B'nai Sharon. Mm. Okay. So you were doing a full-time job on top of a part-time job, or is this also a full-time job? <laughs> Working in the synagogues has always been a part-time job. Mm-hmm. But since I've retired, it's basically become a labor of love. And mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time uh, working in the synagogue library. And uh, perhaps one could say I'm volunteering quite a bit, uh, but I enjoy it. I feel a commitment to Judaism, which I can express through my work in the Jewish library. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how all the retirees or people moving have been bringing you all the books from their houses and what you've had to do with them <laughs> and your world travels. That's a big issue. Nobody has the heart to throw away a book. Mm -hmm. And I get calls all the time from people asking if I can take their books. My answer is yes, with qualifications. Firstly, I want to make sure that we don't have a stale collection. I want to make sure that our collection has current material for people to read, both fiction and nonfiction. So what I tell people is this, I'll be glad to take whatever you have with some limitations. However, I reserve the right to pass it along to another library or in a worst case scenario, give it uh, to a public library that's holding a large book sale. We also get a lot of uh, Sidurim and Sifre Kodesh donated. And I've been in touch with uh, some people in uh, the Yeshivot to see if they could use them. Uh, Very often books are brought in that are extremely well used and they are Sifre Kodesh. And then we do uh, put them aside and they they go into Geniza. They're buried generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, periodically, we have a grave where the books are buried. Because people may not know that in the Jewish religion, you're not allowed to throw away a siddur or prayer book. Right. We don't throw away anything that we consider to be a sifra kodesh or a holy book. 
with yeah. God's name in it. What about the communities around the world that you've been helping stock their libraries, like com- communities coming back from, you know, the Holocaust or other parts of the world that Jewish life is coming back? Yeah, I've developed uh, a couple of overseas uh, friendships with librarians, and uh, I have taken a lot of books to Cape Town, where the Jewish Community Library is very receptive. Yeah. Um, I also uh, I also donate with my own money a lot of books to them, and uh, I've also taken a lot of things on the Holocaust to uh, the Durban Holocaust Education Center. Um, additionally, where's Durban? Durban is on the Indian Ocean side of uh, South Africa. Oh, I wow. believe it's the uh, third largest city, actually, in South Africa. Um, it's an it's a very interesting Jewish community in Durban. At one point, the community numbered about two thousand Jews. Today, it's about fifteen hundred, but the vast majority of them today are descendants of Holocaust survivors. Mm. A lot of Holocaust survivors went to Durban, you know, uh, after the war, and uh, there was a thriving Jewish community there. I also take books to uh, Berlin. The Masorti Berlin has done a fantastic job of rebuilding a conservative Jewish community in Berlin. And uh, they have a daycare center, a kindergarten, which operates in several languages, including English. And I do take a lot of books to them, as well as some books that actually go to the uh, uh, Masorti Synagogue in Berlin. What about antique books, books that have some monetary, like an antique value, aside from a learning value? Do you ever find those? I have no experience with those. Uh, Most of the books that I have uh, that come into the library, basically, if you try to sell them, the value would be extremely low. It's very rare a book comes across my desk that has any value. Um, Unfortunately, there is not a great value in used books. Can I mention one thing? He also donates to the St. Herman's. Is that what you do? Well, St. Herman's is a totally different story. Those aren't books. Um, They're not books. What I do is basically, I do uh, work part-time in the kitchen as a mashkiach at... uh, B'nai Asherin, and when there's a large amount of food left over from an event, um, I do take it to St. Herman's as a uh, donation. And that's a church? It's actually, it's a, they call it a hospitality center. What it is, is it's a large house that houses, you know, 30 people that would, I guess, otherwise, you know, be homeless. And uh, it operates a kitchen where they serve meals to people that are in need in the local area. So you do a lot of good for the community. I jokingly say I earn my mitzvah mile by going out to St. Herman's. <laughs> nice. Well, I think that you provide a great value to so many people around Cleveland and around the world. 
And I really appreciate that. I wanted to end our conversation by asking you two questions. One, what is your favorite book? And then two, what is your favorite book about Judaism or that has to do with Judaism in some way? Probably let's go from uh, the last question first. Probably Milton uh, Steinberg's Basic Judaism. It's a short book that I recommend to people that want to get a greater knowledge of the Jewish religion. Nice. And as for one of my favorite books in recent times, I would say Lioness because it's about Golda Meir. I had the privilege of meeting Golda Meir shortly before she passed away. And she left a lasting impression on me because I was a teacher for three summers on a program where American teachers were teaching in Jerusalem and other areas of Israel. And we were working as tutors to teach the Israeli children, English. So many of the children needed reinforcement, particularly children from homes where there was no good language spoken. Many of the uh, families that came from all around the world came from places where they were basically living very fragile lives. And as a result, there was no stable language that was spoken in the house. And so when it came to learning English, many of these children had an extremely difficult time. And that was the purpose of our group. Each summer, about 30 teachers would go over. The majority were New York City public school teachers. And we had various assignments throughout Israel Um, in Jerusalem and areas of Tel Aviv. And we had students that came to us that needed some major reinforcement in the English language. Wow, that sounds awesome. Does it still exist? I don't believe so. It was started by a uh, a lady that was a guidance counselor in New York. And she has since passed on. I'm afraid uh, the program doesn't exist as she had structured it. I don't know if it exists in another form. But uh, at the end of the summer, Golda Meir came, and they told us we were going to have a reception with a special person. None of us knew that it was going to be Golda Meir. And then we walked in, we all sat down around the table, and all of a sudden, Golda Meir walked in. And she talked with us like she was a member of our family and thanked us for coming to Israel and told Mm. us that there was only one thing about Israel she didn't like. And we all held our breath. Golda's going to tell us something about Israel she doesn't like. (laughs) And she said, it's El Al. And we thought, well, you know, they're in flight service. It's not so great. But uh, anyway, but their security on the other end is top notch. And she paused. And she said she didn't like El Al because it was going to take all of us back to America. And she wanted us to stay as teachers in Israel. Wow. How nice. (laughs) How old were you at the time? I think I was about 28. 
Oh, wow. Our 27th. What a great experience. It was a fantastic experience. Well, Rafi, we really appreciate you joining us on Cleveland Schmooze today. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for listening to Cleveland Schmooze, a podcast produced by Rachel and Robin Rood. Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye.